0: Good morning again. Good morning, good morning. morning. Uh, Welcome to East Hall. Again, my name is Mike, one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, Normally I spend my time with community groups and global ministry, but now I get a chance to bring the word to you this morning, which I am grateful for. Hopefully you are too. Um, One quick staff update as we get going. With everything going on with the Cavs, we got word, actually. Uh, The Cavs traded away their second-round pick to pick up Tom Randall. So that's... uh, (laughs) Yeah, so you can cheer for Tom. They need some help, and probably uh, they need Jesus, too. Um, and we are in the second week of our series, Transformation 101, Transformation 101, where we're looking at our purpose statement as a church, uh, to know Jesus, to grow in Him, and to serve Him daily. Throughout this year, we're going to look at uh, each of those words, know, grow, serve. Right now, we're looking at what it means to know Jesus. And if you're here last week, Todd talked a lot about what it means to believe in him, to make that jump, to accept his gift, and to believe in Jesus. And now this week, uh, our word is belong. Our word is belong. We think transformation begins right here. All right? One of my wife and I's favorite TV shows is This Is Us. All right? Got any This Is Us fans in the house? All right? Good. I have not seen the recent episode of the Super Bowl, so if you say anything to me, I will trade you to the Philippines uh, as well. But no, uh, This Is Us, it's a series on NBC, it's a great drama, starring the Pearson family, Jack and Rebecca, then their three kids, Kevin, Kate, and Randall. It's a wonderful uh, show, and actually one of the recent episodes really uh, struck me. It flips back and forth between adulthood and the childhood for these three kids, the big three they're known as. And uh, one of their episodes highlights Kevin. And Kevin is a teenage kid, and they're on a family vacation, staying in a cabin, and all of a sudden a storm hits. And Kate and Randall, uh, they get up first out of bed in the middle of the night. They crawl into mom and dad's bed, as many uh, of you have probably experienced too. And then Kevin wakes up a little bit later. Wakes up a little bit later, he sees that his siblings are gone from their room, and so he wanders into... Mom and dad's room as well. But when he gets in, he looks in, there's no more room actually for him in the bed. He sees his mom, he sees his dad, he sees his two siblings, but the bed is full. And so it's really this heartbreaking scene. He's a 12-year-old kid. He takes his pillow and his blanket and he curls up on the floor beneath his family and he sleeps there for the night. I feel like Kevin's experience is something that we can uh, all too easily identify with. Right, we all have this strong desire, uh, even maybe a primal need to belong in our family, with our friends, at work, and uh, especially at church. We have this desire and this need, and yet it doesn't always lead to an experience of belonging. Something disrupts that, something complicates that. Right? It could be a divorce, it could be a conflict, it could be a fight, an argument. It could simply be a move. We find ourselves in a new school, with a new job, in a new neighborhood. Whatever it is, our desire to belong is not matched with an experience of belonging. And all too often, we can feel like Kevin on the floor by ourselves. And the passage we're going to read today, it's going to be from 1 Corinthians. We're going to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, but uh, this letter was written to a church in Corinth in the first century, and this church was a, uh, was a lot like Kevin. They had a lot of dysfunction, they had a lot of conflict, a lot of brokenness, and their desire for belonging was not matched with an actual experience. If you just flip through 1 Corinthians chapter by chapter, you'll just see um, so much division, so much conflict, so much people sleeping on the floor by themselves on lawsuits, sexuality, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, roles in the church, you name it, they were experiencing it. So it's into that context of brokenness and this yet yeah, this desire to belong that God speaks. And Paul writes 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. So I'm going to read that in a moment, but before I do, will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time to gather as your church to hear from your word. And we just ask now that your spirit would speak. God, that your word would be, um, come alive now. That our minds and our hearts would be open to you. You'd clear out distractions. And God, that you would meet us here in this place, in this service, through your word, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. It'll be on the screen as well, but I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26. For just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would we, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, "I have no need of you," nor again the hand or the head to the feet, "I have no need of you." On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. This is God's word. There are three things God wrote uh, to the church in Corinth, and three things he writes to us, uh, the church in Hudson. Know that we are one, trust that we all are one, and express our oneness. Know that we are one, trust that we are one, and express our oneness. First, know that we are one. Look with me at verse 12. It says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so It is with Christ. From the very beginning, Paul used an analogy that was pretty simple and easy for us to relate to. He compares the church to our physical bodies. And he says, though our bodies have many parts, they are still part of one body. So too in the church, there are many people, yet we are connected as one body. Right? I don't think we need to um, spend too much time here. I think we all understand that your hand is your hand. It belongs to you. Your knee is your knee, it belongs to you. I don't think you have to be reminded that your two ears are your two ears. They belong to your body. The oneness, the physical unity, we understand and we get. And Paul draws on that same illustration. He says, you know what, in the church there are all kinds of people. People of many different colors, many different backgrounds, many different ages. People of different education, different social status. And yet together, many parts are one. There is a spiritual connectedness, a spiritual oneness that is true in the church. He says it again in Galatians chapter 3, all the more clearly. He says in verse 28, There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. The physical unity that we know is reflected in the church with a spiritual unity. Know that we are one. Now, how can he say this, right? It seemed like a pretty big claim. What allows Paul to say to the church in Corinth and to to us in Hudson, we are one. That the person sitting next to you isn't just sitting next to you, right? You don't just share the same row. You don't just share the same aisle. But actually, we are connected in a deeper spiritual way that we are one. What allows him to make that kind of claim? Well, look with me at verse 13. He says this, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. It's a bit of a strange verse, right, if we're honest. Sometimes the Bible says things that we don't quite understand right away. It seems a little bit confusing, uh, a little little bit uh, first century-esque. What does he mean? He says, all were made to drink of one spirit. Well, sometimes the best thing to do if you're not sure what the scripture says is try to find another passage that is similar that'll help you understand it. So if we go to John chapter 7, Jesus says this. It'll be on the screen as well. Jesus stood up and he cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. Now hopefully that helps us make a little bit more sense of our passage in 1 Corinthians. And what Jesus is saying here, what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians is that those of us, when we come to believe in Jesus, when we make the jump that Todd talked about last week, we all drink from the same cup. We're all given a drink of the same spirit. There is one spirit and all who believe in Jesus, he gives that spirit to them. And So the spirit becomes this unifying force between believers. Right? And It's sort of like uh, your diploma from maybe your high school or your college. If you have that diploma, you are united with your alumni. Or a sports jersey or a school uniform, whatever it might be, if you have that jersey, if you wear that uniform, that is your bond, that is the sign that you belong to your teammates, you belong to your classmates, you belong to the alumni. And in in a much richer and deeper way, Paul says, everyone who believes in Jesus and has the Spirit, we belong together and we are one. Right, and so what's going on in this passage? And the larger picture that that Paul is painting is that when you believe in Jesus, you belong to many. When you believe in Jesus, you belong to many. It's like when you get married, right? When you get married to your spouse, what comes with your spouse in-laws, all right? For better or for worse, in-laws come with your spouse, right? There is no spouse without in-laws, and there is no Jesus without Christians, and for better or for worse, in-laws come with the spouse, and for better or for worse, Christians come with Jesus. Now, in my case, I have to say it is for the better with my in-laws, all right? I married my wife, Christina, and I joined the Sponarelli crew. Uh, actually, Dennis and Kim, they are here in the front row because of how much they love and they want to hear me preach to them so often. No, but I, uh, my family's from Michigan, and I moved down to Ohio, and ever since from day one, they have welcomed me. They have loved and cared for me like a son, and I feel like I belong in Ohio in large part to Dennis and Kim. And the best part... Is that my father in law has promised me $20 every time I say his name from stage. So every time I say Dennis or Dennis Sponarelli or Mr. Sponarelli, I get $20. It's for the better with my in laws and it's for the better that Christians come with Jesus. And we'll get to that later. But the first point that Paul says know that we are one. Know that we are one. Now we can call a quick timeout here—a quick twenty-second timeout. You might be thinking a couple things. Uh, one, you don't know my in-laws, <laughs> which is fair. Your in-laws might be crazy. Um, two, that's not been my experience with Christians. That's not been my experience in the church. I don't feel this sense of belonging. This sense of oneness is something that has not been true. In my life. It sounds great, but I haven't experienced that. I feel more like Kevin on most days than anybody else. This leads me to the second point, it leads to Paul's second point, actually. And the second point that Paul tells the church in Corinth is this: trust that we all are one. Don't just know that we are one, but have faith and believe and trust that we all are are one. There's some people that we listen to and trust a little bit more quickly, a little bit uh, more easily. Right? When you leave today you'll be headed out either the Tarex Road or 303 will or three, be a police office there directing traffic. Right? You are going to know and trust what He tells you to do. That comes quickly and that comes easily. But for some reason we have this struggle with God from the very beginning of not just knowing what he says, but actually believing in him and trusting in him and what he says. And one of the very first questions asked of God to Adam and Eve was, Did God really say? Did God really say? And the serpent was trying to put a wedge between what we know about God and what we actually trust in him. And if you know the story in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, they knew, but they did not trust and they took the fruit and they ate it. And that sent us into the whirlwind of the world that we are in today. There's a difference between knowing and trusting what God says. And the church in Corinth was struggling with that. They knew that God had made them one because of Jesus, but they didn't trust it. And there are two ways that they didn't trust it. The first, they thought that we ourselves don't belong. We ourselves don't belong. And the second way is um, we believe that they don't belong. So the first is we believe that we don't belong, and the second is we believe that they don't belong. Look with me uh, at verse 15. It says, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of that body. Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. Right, The narrative of our society, the narrative of our culture is that belonging is connected to being worthy enough to belong, to be good enough, to be rich enough, to be smart enough, and then you can belong. Right? If you want to get into a good college, you need good grades. If you want the job, you need the experience. If you want to join the country club, then you have to bring the dough. Belonging is connected to being worthy enough to belong. Rich enough, smart enough wealthy enough. And that is a dangerous narrative because when we begin to look at ourselves and we compare ourselves to other people, we realize that we aren't like them and realize because I am not blank, we begin to think that we don't belong. We begin to develop this less than um, inferiority complex within us, this less than idea that we don't belong. It could be education, it could be Our background, it could be we don't know the Bible well enough, it could be our color of our skin, it could be a whole number of reasons. But we have this inner dialogue that says, I am not blank, so I don't belong. In Another episode of This Is Us, uh, fast forward when Kevin is an adult, and he's become this big time movie star, thanks to the Manny, and his high school wants to honor and recognize him as a distinguished alumni. So they bring him back for a a ceremony one night, and they're honoring also a doctor uh, alongside him. And then what they don't know, what the high school doesn't know, is that actually Kevin is in a whirlwind of pain and of addiction and a mess. He's addicted to painkillers. He's made a mess of his marriage, and he is not in a good spot. And his football coach gives a, a really honoring speech And then Kevin responds with this. He says, you're a good man. What you said was wrong. I'm serious, guys. I am not strong at all. The crowd goes crazy. We love you, Kevin. Stop. Don't. Don't, don't, don't love me. The truth is, I'm not worthy of this award or any honor for that matter. He verbalizes the inner inner dialogue many of us have with ourselves. He verbalizes the sense of being less than. Because of his addiction, because of his relationships, he doesn't belong on that stage. He doesn't belong as a distinguished alumni. We can be like Kevin. We can talk like Kevin. We can think like Kevin. We can believe Kevin believes. I have watched too much pornography. I do not belong. I've had an abortion. I do not belong. I've struggled with mental health issues for far too long. I do not belong. And we think because belonging is connected to worth that we do not belong, and we distance ourselves, we remove ourselves, and we pull away from the church, and we pull away from other believers. And this is what God, I believe, says to us and to you on this morning, that the reason that you belong is not based on what you've done or what you've not done. It's not based on whether you measure up or you don't measure up. It's not based on how you're wired or not wired. It's based on because you came to me thirsty, And I gave you a drink of the Spirit of God. And the living Holy Spirit lives and dwells within you and unifies you with us because you believe in Jesus, you belong to many. That's the first way. We think we ourselves don't belong. The second way is this. We don't believe that they really belong. We don't believe that they really belong. Look with me at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. And what's happening is what happens in our hearts and in our minds. If someone is different than us, if someone doesn't look like us, dress like us, or act like us, right? If we are an ear and we see a hand, if we are a foot and we see an arm, if someone is different from us, we say, you know what? You are not like me, so you don't belong with me. This was the problem in the church in Corinth. They had this us and them mentality that was all over the place. That's why Paul goes out of his way in both passages to highlight the Jews and the Greeks, the slaves and the free, the men and the women, because how toxic this us and them mentality really is. I think we have our own us versus them. Some of them are funny, right? In sports, we can talk about uh, if you are a Buckeyes fan, then the Wolverines don't belong. If you are a Browns fan, Steelers fans don't belong. If you are a Cavs fan, then Steph Curry doesn't belong. That may be true. Or about technology, if you are a Mac user, then Windows don't belong. Right, we have these fun, silly uh, us and them, but sometimes it goes a little bit deeper. Things are a little more deeply rooted than just sports or technology. When We start to get into our politics. If you are a Trump voter, then you don't belong. If you are a Clinton voter, you don't belong. Democrats think Republicans don't belong. Republicans think Democrats don't belong. If you don't vote like me, then you don't belong with us. We do this with our politics, we do this with our money. The rich will say to the poor, you don't dress like me, you don't drive cars like me, you don't look as good as I do, you don't belong. And the poor will say to the rich, you're too snobbery for me. (laughs) And you don't belong with us either. It is Black History Month. And so for far too long our country has made us and them about skin color. If you don't look like me, If the pigment of your skin is not as light as the pigment of my skin, then you don't belong. John Piper, a famous pastor and writer from Minnesota, shared a story from his childhood growing up in Greenville, South Carolina. And he shared a story of his church voted to not allow blacks into the service simply because of the color of their skin. And sometimes we think that can be history that's in our past, but I have to ask the question is it really? Does the color of somebody's skin matter to you? Does it matter to us? This is a picture of my family. That's my wife, Christina, and then our son, Braden. And the greatest fear that I have as a dad is that history will repeat itself in the life of my son. That one day, somebody will look at the color of his skin and say, you don't look like us. You don't belong here. If you wonder why you don't experience this sense of belonging, this sense of oneness, if you don't feel what Paul is talking about in this passage, this is why. There's a disconnect between what we know what God says and what we actually believe and trust what he says. There's a wedge that's been driven between those two things. Did God really say that we are one with them, with him, with her? He must have misspoke, or we must have misheard him. And if you believe in Jesus today, if you make 20K or 200K a year, you belong, and we are one. If you have your GED or your PhD, you belong, and we are one. Whether you're 8, 18, 38, or 88, you belong, and you are one. If you are white, black, brown, red, green, or blue, you belong, and we are one. And shame on us, shame on us, if he would think or believe anything different. Two things Paul has spoke to the church in Corinth. Know that we are one. Trust that we are one. And now finally, express that oneness. Express that oneness. Look with me at the very end of our passage. Verse 25 and verse 26. That there be no division in the body that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. In the This Is Us episode, it didn't end with Kevin sleeping by himself that night. In the middle of the night, Rebecca wakes up his mom, and she sees Kate and Randall and her husband all together in the bed, and then she looks down and she sees her son, sleeping on the carpet with his pillow and a small blanket by himself. And without hesitation, without hesitation, she gets out of her bed, she climbs down onto the floor, she sneaks under the covers with Kevin, and the scene ends with Kevin and his mom together again. That is the expression of oneness that Paul is talking about here. This idea that we would identify With each other. If someone is rejoicing, we rejoice with them. If someone is mourning, we mourn with them. If someone is sleeping on the floor, we sleep on the floor with them. To identify with somebody means that you would leave your current state and you would enter into the physical, emotional, and spiritual state of somebody else. You would leave your current spot. You would leave where you are and you would go to be where they are in the 1960s there was a woman named Viola Louise I don't know everything about her but she was a white woman who grew up in Detroit she had a family and a husband and she was so stirred by what was going on with the civil rights movement in Alabama that she took a drive from Detroit all the way down to Alabama to march with Martin Luther King Jr. and everybody else from Selma to Montgomery in 1965. After the march, while she was still down there, some people were not very fond of what she was doing or who she was. They were not fond that a white woman would identify with the civil rights movement. And so members of the Ku Klux Klan actually ended up taking her life. Why would she do that? Why would she go down from Detroit to Alabama, why would she leave the safety and equality she experienced to go all the way down to the danger and inequality of Alabama? What she said to her husband before she left was it's everybody's fight. It's everybody's fight. And what if we were a church where that was our mantra? It's everybody's fight. And it's everybody's joy. Your miscarriage is my miscarriage. Your new son is my new son. Your new job is my new job. Your job loss is my job loss. The racism against you is the racism against me. The discrimination against you is discrimination against me. What if we were a church that truly identified with each other and we left where we were to go and be where they were? You see, that's why I think it's better that, that Christians come with Jesus. Because our need to belong, that desire to belong, could finally be realized in the church. You can experience the love and the belonging that you were made for when you come to believe in Jesus and you belong to many. And I have hope. I have hope that we can be this kind of church, I have hope that we can be the kind of people that truly express our oneness and identify with each other because that is what God has done for us in Jesus. He has identified with us. The Bible says that he left heaven. He left the current state where he was and he entered into the brokenness of this world. And he assumed our physical, our emotional, and our spiritual state. He was born like us he grew up like us. He got hungry and tired like us. He was sad and hurt and rejected like us. He completely identified with us except for one way. There was one major exception, that he was without sin. In every thought and every word and every deed, he was completely sinless. And that changes the way that he can identify with us he doesn't just identify and suffer with us but actually he suffers for us because he was sinless he was able to go to the cross for you and for me he was able to die for us and pay for our sins so that we wouldn't have to die and pay for them ourselves and on the third day he rose again from the dead and he says my victory is your victory my joy is your joy. We can rejoice together both now and for all eternity. Because I didn't just suffer with you, but I suffered for you. In the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the conflict, in the midst of the dysfunction that we feel in this world and in our lives, the good news of Jesus is we are not alone. We are one, and we belong together because of Jesus. Whether you are a Browns fan or a Steelers fan, a Cavs fan or a Warriors fan, whether you are a Democratic or a Republican, whether you are black or white, rich or poor, know that we are one. Trust. Have faith that we all belong together. May we express that to each other and identify with each other. For when we do, that's when God will truly transform us and this church. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love you because you looked upon us in our sin. You looked upon us when we want nothing to do with you, and yet you came down to identify with us. You took on everything, including our sin and our shame and our guilt, and you said, give it to me. And because of that, Lord, we now get to rejoice with you. God, I pray for our church. I pray for myself that we could emulate Christ, that we could be one together. We would trust in that, that we would express that, God, and that you would use that to change us. We love you, Lord. On your name we pray. Amen.